You know, some friends and I were talking about the last four years of our lives from high school to graduating college. Um, I mean, I'm still in college, but when they graduated college, so much has happened. We had, um, you know, the Me Too movement. We've had Black Lives Matter protests. We've had coronavirus. We've had just so much shit go down, you know? Like, life-changing crap that we have all gone through. And a lot of it is just so powerful and just amazing to see, like the Me Too movement and Black Lives Matter. And then on the other hand, you have coronavirus and or COVID-19, whatever you want to call it. And holy cow, just the way that people have come together and have also disbanded during the time of coronavirus is both shocking and beautifully amazing. Like, my family and, like, other families, you know, we all get cooped up in our own house and we have to live with each other for an indefinite amount of time. And so, like, you have to learn how to not push each other's buttons because if you do... Holy cow, uh, you're going to be in for it for you don't even know how long. So it's really coming together, listening to people's feelings and how they are approaching the situation and getting through it together. Because you're not going to get through this pandemic alone. You will go insane. You will be stuck in your own thoughts. You will start listening to all of these crazy things that your brain is just like letting you acknowledge and that is not healthy and our health in this pandemic has been a main priority that's why governments had shut or not governments had shutdowns but that's why governments shut down a lot of businesses and um parks and why there are just so many precautions as to human safety and so what happens though when that human safety is challenged by the color of your skin Um, That is what I wanted to do in this podcast, is to look at how certain ethnicities are affected during coronavirus. Like, as we know, the coronavirus started in China, and um, it sucks because if you're Asian American, then some people might joke, oh my gosh, like, you brought this over, ha ha ha, like you suck, and it's kind of like, who the fuck are you to say that? Pardon my French, but like, that is not okay, and we are supposed to come together as people right now, and be loving towards one another, and caring, but sometimes that idea of someone is to blame starts to really seem good around the second month of quarantine, you know, and that's just not fair. So what I wanted to do was to look at how black communities within the U.S. are being affected by this pandemic, especially within hospitals, Um, because as we know uh, from time and time again, those who live in very poor um, urban areas and go to the hospital, sometimes the residents don't even pay attention to them, you know? And that sucks because that's a human life. 
that's a human life that could be lost on your watch. And if you're not doing anything about it, then how could you be in the profession that you are in as a doctor? Because isn't that your whole reason to be there is to help people and to care for them and to provide them with the means to keep them alive? The problem with this is, is that in some urban areas, I'm not talking all urban areas, but some urban areas, there are gangs and there are areas where finding young black men in the hospital from gunshot wounds, knife wounds, um, overdoses, uh, any drug related incident you know a lot of um doctors residents maybe even some nurses turn their head and are like man this person is a lost cause like what what is there to do like he's just going to come back again that is the mentality that some of these hospitals have and so that is the mentality before coronavirus like after coronavirus happened what what do you think is happening there you know like oh okay they have a gunshot wound let's call it coronavirus and just you know put them on a ventilator no that's not right who are you to say that this person's life is not significant sure some of the people that go in there Maybe like a little messed up, but does that really give you the incentive and the power to just belittle that person's life? I don't think so. I think what I've learned in my ethnics class is that we need to listen to people and we need to care for these people. All people, no matter what color their skin is, no matter what their religion, no matter their sexual preference, no matter what they think, you know? Because people, one of our greatest gifts that we give to each other is helping each other out. That has gotten me through a lot, and I know it has definitely gotten all of my loved ones through a lot. Um, and just, you know, random people. And what sucks is that people nowadays just fend for themselves. And it's just a cold, cold world. And then this pandemic hit and it was just multiplied. And the darkness just was overwhelming. And so... What I hate to see in the news every single day is just coronavirus, coronavirus, coronavirus. They never really gave us updates on, oh, like we're doing better. Like we're studying the line and we're doing great with this lockdown and everything is getting better. No. What they said in the news every single day when I watched it. This is every day when I watched it and every time I saw updates. All I could hear was, we are doomed. We don't have a cure. We need to stay indoors until there's a cure. Um, Like, stay at home. You're not allowed to go outside. You're not allowed any type of freedom right now. You are to be locked inside with your thoughts, with us telling you what to do. And I don't know about you, but that does not sit well with me. That does not sit well with me one bit. And this brings about the 
notion of movements and our freedom of speech and what we believe in, you know? So um, I was reading Charlene Caruthers and she has this wonderful book uh, and it's about movement um, in black settings, in queer settings, and just allowing themselves to be heard and how to like get their voice across and to do it in a very, you know, like respectable way and to not portray themselves as this bad thing that is happening. Like, that's not it at all. So one of the things that I really just loved in this book was um, something that Caruthers said. And she was saying it when she was talking about rights and liberties in this country. Uh, She writes, We deserve more than partial freedoms, cloaked as pathways to liberation. Freedom is not real if everyone can't exercise it. Liberation entails freedoms, but is more than that. Liberation is a perpetual project of creating and maintaining right relationships between people and the land we inhabit, and our articulation of how we get there, how we liberate ourselves, matters. As activists, regardless of how much power we hold, what we say we want matters. Because it is, or sorry, because in this moment, we just might get it. I just love that. But she has so many other great things to say. But I just wanted to focus on that quote real fast. Because we do have liberations in this country. And we are so fortunate because of that. Um, We are fortunate in that we can protest peacefully. And just create this movement throughout our nation, like we have seen with Black Lives Matter. And um, mid-COVID, we also saw, like, people making masks for, like, their friends, their family, for random people that they didn't know. And that's powerful as well. But what I wanted to kind of jump on here is that a lot of what we are used to in this country, our freedom for all Americans, not just white, not just black, not just Asian American, not just uh, Arabic American, not just Latino American. It's just that we are at a time right now with the coronavirus that we are not able to practice those freedoms and we are letting our government tell us what to do and that may go deeper you know um like in the hospitals why is it that so many sorry so many people are being called covid patients when they are not in there with coronavirus, you know? Like, what was really confusing to me, the first, I want to say it was the first month, maybe a month and a week, that coronavirus had just hit. We all went on um, the stay-at-home order. I live in California, so I'm not sure if it's different anywhere else in the country, um, as hard as we have it here. But my friend, she works in the hospital. She is a nutrition major and she just graduated. And she was telling me, yeah, like they think I have coronavirus and, but they won't test me for it. And I kind of was like, okay, what's that about? And she was like, well, I mean, I don't know. Like I could just have like, the flu and I just have no idea because they don't really even have a test for coronavirus and I don't know what to do with that and it was just like what the heck so they are telling you your administration and your boss 
is telling you that you have coronavirus, but they don't have tests for you to take. So you're just going to have to believe them that you have coronavirus. Like, wouldn't you want to know if you had the coronavirus? And she's like, yeah, I kind of do want to know if I have it. That way, like, I don't spread it to anyone. And, like, that way you can't spread it to your family. Like, if I see you in a month or so. This was back in, like, very early April, maybe late March. And so that just boggled my mind. Like, we had already been on lockdown for two weeks at that point. And they were just like, yeah, like, we're pretty sure you have COVID. Just go home, rest up, like. Don't go anywhere for two weeks. Like, you'll be fine. And she's just supposed to take it at their word. Like, I understand they're doctors and everything. And, like, sure, they're very knowledgeable. But this pandemic has hit us hard. And, like, doctors don't know what the cure is. And they didn't even give her a test to see if she had coronavirus. And so that is one of the main points I want to make about hospitals like in our country is a lot of them during this pandemic like didn't even know what coronavirus really was like yes a lot of people had coronavirus a lot of people and like especially Seattle and New York geez they had it so tough but like It just boggles my mind that my friend, who is a nutrition major, who, like, knows what happens in hospitals and knows, like, that she needs to know, like, what her medical condition is because that's just the way she is, first of all. Like, she loves to know what is going on with her body. And, like, if she's sick, she wants to take care of it and, like, know what the sickness is. It boggled my mind that she did not ask, or she did ask for a test, actually. Sorry. She asked for a test, and they did not give her a test to confirm it was coronavirus. They just said, you know what? You have coronavirus. And that is happening all over our country. And you know what? That is most likely happening all over the world. So what happens when you have a black American in a hospital in a very poorly kind of funded hospital, such as in uh, New York? What hospital was it? It was the one that uh, this nurse actually blew a whistle on. Let me find what her name was. She blew the whistle on how they were treating um, African Americans as well as any other patient that was going through uh, the hospital. She was saying that they were doing nothing to help these people. And they were doing a subpar job at treating their patients, treating their patients in a way that they weren't treating them for their symptoms, such as, like, say you had, you know, I don't, I don't know medicine. I think it's fascinating, but I am not a doctor. I have only done this research to see how COVID has affected black people. But say you were to go in for like a broken arm, you know, and they were like, whoa, buddy, like you're in the hospital now. You're maybe like, let's say you're like 16, 21 years old. You don't know that much about medicine. Like, let us tell you what you have. Now that you're in the hospital, you have coronavirus. And it's like, wait, what? I have a broken arm. I do not have coronavirus. Who, what the heck? What's going on here? And so 
that is like kind of what this lady said. She was just kind of like, uh, guys, why are we telling this kid that he has coronavirus when clearly he has a broken arm and we need to put a cast on it? And let me find her name because holy cow, that lady was amazing. Uh, Nicole Sirotek. Uh, she is a Nevada nurse. She went to New York City to help hospitals uh, when the outbreak first began. And so when she posted this video, she was sobbing because she saw that all of these patients of hers were being treated wrongly in the care of these medical officials, you know? And she was just like, I don't know what to do because they're telling me I'm doing a good job, but I know for a fact that I am not, that I am not going by what was the book before coronavirus and helping people and like making sure that they are gaining back their health. Rather, I am just helping them get worse and worse. And I don't know what to do. And so she was visibly sobbing in this video. If you want to look it up, it's nurse blows whistle on New York hospitals murdering minority COVID-19 patients. It's crazy. It's it's about like a 20-minute video, but honestly, every single thing she says is so powerful and it just makes you think, what are our hospitals doing? Are we actually getting the full truth through the news? And I don't know what to think about COVID anymore, you know? And so when she speaks about this, she lets us know like she's at a hospital that quote unquote isn't in the nicest neighborhood and she sees like all of these people coming in either they're like from gangs or they like had a drug overdose or just something like that you know and the doctors are very very negligent because they're just kind of like well there's Dave again. I'm not saying Dave is, like, a person that actually went through it. I'm just, like, making up a scenario. But, like, that actually happens. And she told us it happens. And then YouTube tried to block her video. What is that about? I don't know. But let's focus on the negligence of these doctors. And why they are causing so much death rather than helping people stay alive. Why is it? I mean, I know coronavirus is a very deathly virus um, because we've seen it all over the world. And there are COVID patients like in these areas. But when you have a non-COVID patient and you are allowing them to kind of be in an area where you know COVID patients have been and like with doctors or nurses that have been treating COVID patients, wouldn't you want to like separate that in the hospital and kind of have a wing where it's designated to medical problems that are just kind of every day? And then, sorry, I have a bubble in my throat. Um, so, or would you want to have another wing where they are treating people who actually have COVID? And if they think they have COVID, they go over there rather than just causing chaos all over the hospital. <sighs> so... Negligent doctors. Um, we see in that video that Nicole Sirotek posted the inequality and racism towards patients of different race, obviously. But, like, what makes it worse is that 
Doctors try to shrug off the comments from nurses regarding ill practice and negligence. If nurses speak out like Syrtec, then they are moved from that wing of the hospital to the other, or they are fired, and they have to go try and find work somewhere else. And what's crazy about that is, like, uh, there was an Oklahoma nurse, there was a Nevada nurse, I believe there was also a nurse from Florida, and they all went to New York and signed up to go to New York to help these COVID patients and to help the pandemic. They wanted to see lives change to be healthier and to not be thrown into the fire that is COVID-19. But instead, when they kind of raised suspicion of why these doctors were just not giving a care about these Black Americans, Latino Americans, Asian Americans... What do you do with that? Well, for starters, these nurses that kind of blew the whistle are fired or they are moved to a completely new wing where they have to get to know all of their very new patients over again and they have to brush up on their conditions and try and help them in the best way they can. And that just wastes time for everyone. Like that... Because they have to take time to learn what the person is going through. Why not just keep the original nurse there who knows everything about the patient and can help them feel better in less amount of time? No. The hospitals are part of the problem. They They are sure a solution for some patients, I'd say. Not all, but some. And it's just so frustrating to, like, see that and to hear about it and to not be able to do anything about it. And another few areas to look at or cities to look at um, is Seattle uh, because they had the first outbreak in the country. So I wanted to look at how they have been affected by the coronavirus. And I also wanted to look at Atlanta uh, because a lot of their population is African-American and black. Um, Yeah, so like Atlanta, they, as of 2018, their demographic was about 80 or not 80, sorry, about 50% black or African-American was their uh, population And in Seattle, that is drastically different. It's at 6.8% of their communities are black. And so what I wanted to look at in these cities was the uh, average income for each area. And so because that obviously really either helps or hurts the hospitals that are in that area because where else would they get their money from? Sure, they might get it from the city, but they just aren't as well funded as some of these kind of richer communities that are able to pay their hospitals more for better care. So uh, in Seattle, uh, the incomes of the black communities and the communities that had more black communities uh, were District 2. And so we see that this district has a medium income of 47K to 57K. Uh, when compared to District 6, which has less diversity and has a richer um, community, like money-wise, their income is about 74K a year. That's pretty dang different that is a whole like 30 to 20k different and so we see that difference in the hospitals there and then also in Atlanta when we look at it um their income the lowest is at 10k and the highest is at 179k wow that 
that's $169,000 difference. That is actually crazy. I couldn't imagine. Uh, And obviously, like, all states are different. Like, all incomes are different based on states and uh, economy. And there's just so many factors there. But what we do want to focus on is the difference of these incomes uh, based in the areas of where less help is being given. And that is coincidentally in these lower income areas. So I was reading up on some articles um, just in Seattle and Atlanta and New York. And one of the articles from Seattle um, about coronavirus, it's from Crosscut article. And it says coronavirus for people of color who work in low wage jobs at a disproportionate rate are more likely to contract coronavirus because of the kind of work they are doing, which requires them to be public and not at home on their computers. And people who work in low-wage jobs without good or any insurance are more likely to wait before seeking treatment, and that makes them more likely to die from COVID-19. And that is the quote. So... This makes perfect sense because we do live in a society where we do not have health care and people who do not have enough money to just go on um, even yearly hospital visits are like, yeah, I'd rather just like put my money towards my rent or towards my mortgage or whatever. And so this makes complete sense. Like, Waiting to seek treatment because you are afraid that you are going to be financially unstable after that hospital visit is a real fear that a lot of people in this country have been facing during this pandemic. And, but like this article says, you're more likely to die from COVID-19 because you don't know what your situation is. You don't know if it's just a fever and or a flu or a cold like you get maybe once a year or every few years. Um or if it's actually this virus that is deadly. And so that is such a sad problem in our um in our country, but it makes sense from people talking like this. Like, yeah, the low income people are going to be more likely to get COVID because they don't want to put money towards a hospital bill. They see that as almost a financial burden, which is just sucky. But yeah, so anyway, uh, that is from uh, a Seattle standpoint. And so from a New York standpoint, they have had a lot of stats. Oddly enough, Seattle hasn't had too much uh, statistical data showing the coronavirus because there has been so much happening there that doctors, nurses, patients aren't able to fill out uh, surveys because they are just go, go, go trying to get people in and out of the hospital um, for fear of them either getting coronavirus or from just trying to, you know, kind of stabilize the situation. But um, so in New York, uh, one of their statistics was that 33% of the coronavirus patients were black. And in Atlanta, about 83% of coronavirus cases were black. Now, keep in mind, in Atlanta, like we said earlier, 50% of the population in Atlanta is black. And so that's kind of crazy because, like, you look at the other populations in Atlanta and there are 38% white and then about 5% Latino, about 4% Asian, about uh, 3% two or more races, and it just keeps going from there. But 
83% of COVID patients in Atlanta were black. Why is that? Like, why? And that's just cases. It's not deaths. It's not, like, anything like that. It's just saying that cases were black. That is very interesting. That's, I don't know. It's just, this whole coronavirus just boggles my mind. As I think it should boggle everyone's mind. Like, what stats, what news, what doctor are we supposed to listen to? And, like, get our information from? Because we are in a time, sadly, where information is not always true. And this information is also hard to follow. And and just like while we're on the topic. So this information that I've gathered, it's from mid-April. So obviously there have been um, other statistics and numbers that have come out. And I just haven't been updated. But this is all according to mid-April. Uh, all of these numbers. When it comes down to it. What are these principles that we have followed in our society that allows this income difference to happen and the differences within hospitals um, when it comes to serving patients? When does that happen and what does that stem from? According to Andrea Smith's heteropatriarchy of the three pillars of white supremacy, um, white supremacy is what has driven our country into racial divide. And so one of the pillars that she talks about is um, slavery and capitalism and how their relationship works throughout the history of our country. So um, one of her quotes is... Let me find it. This racial hierarchy tells people that as long as you are not black, you have the opportunity to escape commodification of capitalism. This helps people who are not black to accept their life or accept their lot in life because they can feel that at least they are not at the very bottom of racial hierarchy. At least they are not property. And so... I think that the point Smith makes uh, in this part of the article is that with capitalism, the people who are part of the system are commodities or property to the system rather than a resource to better the economy. And so, I mean, sure, every uh, economic system, uh, whether it be an oligarchy, a monopoly, a capitalist system... Um, everything has something wrong with it. It's not always going to be just peachy and it's not going to satisfy everyone. And so in our system, um, with capitalism, we are allowed to make money. We are allowed to make our own businesses and profit from that business. Um, but the government does, uh, kind of put their hand in there and be like, Hey, you need to follow this, this, and this. And if you could pay us, that would be great. Um, otherwise you have your business taken away from you. And so, um, what happens here is that, um, a lot of people who are successful, uh, happen to be white and, I know there are plenty of successful people who are of different color, but what Smith is trying to get at is that capitalism has really hurt the um, spirit of black people in the past. And so that hurt and that, um, I don't know what else to call it. I'd say that burden that they carry throughout their lives throughout generations, uh, is stemmed from capitalism trying to get money and use the cheapest labor you can, which at the time when we were forming this country, were slaves. And so um, I think along the way, 
what happened was, is people were like, hey, guess what? I'm white. Uh, guess what? You are black. I am better than you. I don't think that's right from everyone's perspective. Like, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm white. And I was raised to be nice to everyone, to love everyone, and to just kind of put myself in their shoes and be like, you know, if they are having a shitty day, I'm just going to give them a smile, offer them some help. If they don't want it, that's okay. They're just going to deal with it, and they know that I'm here to help them. And that is just how I was raised, is like, be helpful, be caring, be kind. But I'm not stupid. I'm not green in the ways of the world. And I know that there are really awful people out there who base things on the color of their skin. And that is just not a way to live. I don't think so. Um, So what sucks is that I have never really experienced this kind of prejudice because I am from a small town and I just I'll be honest like I just have never experienced it I've never seen it other than like maybe on social media and I am very lucky that I live in an area where that is not a problem like the very few black people that we have in this county like sadly it's not exponential um but yeah, uh, sadly, like, it's just kind of like, wow, cool, like, you're a person, let's hang out. It's not really anything racial, it's just kind of like, you're cool, let's hang out, uh, you're awesome. But I do know in other parts of the country that racism happens, and it's just very sad to think about. And so I think when this all started, like, in our country, like, extremely started was the hierarchy uh, within the southern states. Like, you had your um, heads of plantation, the owners of the plantation, and if they had, like, 100-plus slaves, then they were top tier, like, they were in charge of the government, and... They were just in power. And then you had, after that, maybe the landkeeper, and they would be in charge of the slaves on the plantation, or they even had a small plantation with a few slaves of their own, and they were respected by the community, but, like, not exactly too powerful, you know? And then you just had the poor uh, yo farmer, and... He had no slaves, and he was just like, you know what, this kind of sucks, I'm at the bottom, I have no power, I basically have no money, like, my life is crap. And so, the system in the South, at that time, and then kind of, honestly, up to the 1960s, if you want to think about it, um, is they wanted, like, white people wanted someone at the bottom, you know? And that person or those people were slaves, were African Americans, were black people, which is just terrible. You know, I can't believe humanity has done that in the history, but it has happened. And we need to find a way to move on and respect the history that we have, but we do need to move on and figure out how we as Americans want to come back from that. Obviously, not every country is perfect. Like you've, I'm not even going to go into it because I'm a history nerd. But what happened then is putting someone on the bottom of the pedestal that you can walk on, that even the lowest of farmers of like, most likely they were like drunk off their ass like the entire time that they were in their adulthood and they probably just weren't the best of people. They wanted someone below them so that they could feel 
better about themselves and better about their lives. And that was the black people. And, whew, man, sorry, just collecting my thoughts. Um, and so that is where, in the South, where a lot of those problems have come from is just allowing white people to be on top of someone based on skin color, you know, based uh, on top of someone uh, in the hierarchy is what I'm talking about. And so that is what has happened throughout our history, which is just terrible. Like, obviously, like, it it happened um, everywhere else in the U.S. I don't think to the extent that the Southerners had, but it did happen. And so all throughout our country, we see white supremacy and it has shaped our society. It has shaped the way our government is run and the way um, even smaller things are run, like small businesses. Jeez, I couldn't even tell you. Like I, like I said, I don't really live in a community that has too many black people. I do have a community that has a lot of Latinos and it's great to see like Latinos um, like with their businesses because you're just like awesome. You're living the American dream. Keep it up. But um, if I'm being honest, like some of their stores aren't as nice as like places that are predominantly like attended by white people. If you are picking up what I'm putting down. Uh, and so it's just racial. <laughs> if I'm just going to be blunt. Um, but yeah, so we have seen white supremacy throughout our country. Uh, both in timeline and from state to state. Alrighty, so going full circle here. Um, what we see white supremacy wise... Uh, and capitalism-wise in our hospital systems is that uh, those who are poor do happen to be ethnically different. And there is a point where our system is not able to... The capitalist system is not able to sufficiently fund every American for every health problem that we have. And so that is why we see so many African Americans uh, being hospitalized and having more coronavirus cases because of that. And some of these people are in low-income jobs or low income, sorry, uh, jobs, and it's just more likely for them to get it, and it's just sad to see. So one more thing I want to talk about um, on this podcast was that the measures by city governments, like in New York, in Seattle, in Atlanta, the measures that they took to kind of prevent the spread of this virus. Because as we have seen, it spreads like wildfire if you are in very social settings. And so um, when coronavirus first hit, which I believe was March 15th, when we had the um, stay-at-home order from Donald Trump, New York was open. Let me just check my notes real fast. I believe it was open until March 21st. Yep. March 21st, they closed the city. Um, so that is a full six days. And within those six days, countless, countless numbers of coronavirus patients were admitted into hospitals. And so, uh, like I said, mid-April is when I'm getting these facts. And so... They had a higher count than Tokyo. Now, let's think geographically, you know. Tokyo and Japan, they are closer to China. And coronavirus, as we have seen on all maps, has spread to 
the Asian countries first, and then it kind of has just lightly spread it throughout there. So it's gone to Europe and it got to the US. Um, I'd say some of the first cases were obviously China, first one, and then it spread to Asia. So we're talking Vietnam, we're talking about Korea, we're talking about Japan. Uh, then it was lightly spreading into um, the Northern African countries and then uh, the US and Seattle and it just went like wildfire all over the United States. And so what is just crazy to me is that Japan in Tokyo has had, what was it, less COVID deaths than New York City, even though they were affected first, New York City or Japan has less cases and deaths than New York City. That has to do with government intervention of citizens. So why I wanted to look at those dates that I gave you is New York City had the option to shut down when the president was like, hey, guess what? This is spreading. We really need to just stay at home. We need to fight the curve. We need to just help everyone out, especially our elder, especially those who are more prone to get it. And we need to stop this spread right now. And New York City was just like, eh, it's, it's fine. Like, we've had the flu. It's okay. Like, We've had syphilis back in like 1920. It's okay. And it's like, no, there's coronavirus. We know how deadly it is. Like, look at Seattle. Seattle's going crazy right now. And New York, what the heck are you doing? And then all of these cases broke out. All of these deaths happened in New York City. And it's just like, what the frick? Where was our government to tell us, like, hey, you need to go indoors. Like, this is not okay. It's going to be non-beneficial for your health. And so, like, this is the only part of government interference that I'm like, okay, yes, like, sure, let's do that. But instead, the mayor said, no, it's fine. Like, just go to the park, have a park day. Let's all just go and have a protest somewhere in New York. And life is great. Like, this is the New York City dream. We love people. We are going to be great. And, like, COVID isn't going to affect us. (sighs) Fucking idiot, let me just say. Wow. Sorry. A little off track there. But... This has happened because there was a lack of government intervention. And so the lockdown and the stay-at-home orders have helped our country. Very much so. Do I think that we should have only been quarantined for maybe tops three weeks? Heck yes. Like, I don't think it really should have gone over three weeks um and people should be more conscious of like washing their hands and making sure they are wearing masks if they are not feeling well um in public places and wearing gloves and just taking those precautions to be safe and allow others the opportunity to be safe in public settings you know but when you have local And city governments, like, just saying, no, it's not a problem. It's okay. Like, go about your life. Uh, Like, it's not as bad as they say. That's being misinformed. And that is where our country just sucks at the moment, is misinformation. Because, you know, like, we see it in all types of news newspapers and all types of 
uh, statistics and demographics and you name it. It's just, it's hard to follow what is real, what is fact, rather than what we are now perceiving as truth, you know? Because, let's be honest, truth nowadays is more feeling-based rather than fact-based. And that just tickles my pinky toe because what the heck? Like, why can't we all just agree what is fact? I, I understand listening to feelings. And that was another thing that um, my friends and I talked about in the last four years uh, that has been very like beneficial is like the awareness of mental health. Like that is so powerful and so real. But when it comes to government issue mandates and to what has actually happened, like in real time, fact, we have tended to ignore it and have instead gone towards people's feelings and feelings are so valid so valid however when they are blown out of proportion they can be disastrous and so that is one of the things that is just really kind of making me frustrated on the information aspect of everything that is COVID because it's very hard to know what is fact versus what is truth. And so kind of now ending um, coronavirus, like with all of these protests that are going on for Black Lives Matter, uh, we see that there were protests before, obviously before uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, about a month and a half into the stay-at-home order, at least in this state, we had a lot of protests um, on the stay-at-home order because there had been doctors, there had been evidence that the curve went down and that was our initial response to COVID-19, was that we want to lower the curve and then we can gradually start going back out into public and like resuming our daily lives again. That is what our agenda is, says the California government as well as the United States government. And so what happened is... They then switched it to, oh no, we have to find a cure. Everyone stay at home. And it's like, what the frick? Like, we now have to wait for a cure. We don't even have, like, a cure for the flu when, like, people get it. And that is just like, wait a minute. So we have to wait for a cure. That could take years, decades, hundred years who knows like that is an indefinite amount of time and people were sick of it down here in California especially down in Newport Beach and that's kind of when some of the first protests started and then you see it over in Florida I mean Flor- Floridians are crazy but like god bless them um but you just saw kind of this outbreak of <laughs> outbreak but like outbreak of protests <laughs> Um, being led because they just didn't want their government to say, like, switch it on them. Like, they can't just go from, no, you have to stay at home to fight the curve. And then when they switched it to, no, you have to stay at home so we can find a cure. That's misleading. And that is not what our government should be doing, is telling us essentially lies. Like, because you can't just say one thing and mean the other and then tell us what that other thing is a month and a half after this outbreak. Because we were just expecting, you know, two weeks. (laughs) What has it turned into? Two and a half months and counting. But... 
it's just, I do have a very high respect for um, government officials who are trying to tackle this the most tactical and realistic way they can. But for those who are just doing it to control people, that is sick. And that is un-American, and I do believe that they should be fought on it. Um, But I'm not here to talk about that. What I'm talking about is how this affects people who have gotten coronavirus, uh, especially on an ethnicity-based level. And so when you have government officials telling black people, telling Latinos, telling Asian Americans that like, hey, you need to stay inside. Um, And then we see all these white people coming out uh, to protest. It's like, okay, where are like the other ethnicities? Why aren't they kind of like following suit of what the white people are doing? And it's like, that's something I have noticed like all over the internet is all of these white people are protesting you know, the stay-at-home order because they kind of find fault in their government. And I haven't quite seen, like, too much diversity in those groups, you know? Kind of, like, where are... And obviously, like, Black Lives Matter, like, that protest just erupted all over the country and I think that is such like a beneficial and beautiful thing for um black people and what kind of that sets for different people um in this country like when it comes to uh their race but back to these stay-at-home uh protests where were black people? Where were Asian Americans? Where were Latinos? Like, yeah, everyone had masks on um, because, like, they're fighting the curve still. They're still being very careful about, like, distance and uh, approaching it healthily. But, like, where were all of these people of different races during this time. Like, that is what confused me so much. Why is it that these white people are talking, but no one else of, like, kind of color is standing up and doing the same thing? And I think that's just because, personally, I think it's because they want to listen to the government. And... Then I kind of started thinking about it a little deeper, and I was like, could it be like a white supremacy thing? Honestly, I don't think so. I think that's a little far-fetched. But if I were to take it at a point of view from, like, a Latino, and was like, okay, like, these white people are crazy. (laughs) Why are they protesting? Like, I need to stay inside. Um, then, I don't know. It's just hard for me to grasp. And I'm sure, like, this entire pandemic has been hard to grasp for everyone. It's, wow, what a time we live in. That has been um, my line for this whole thing is, what a time to live in. So, all in all... Black lives and lives of um, other diverse people, ethnically diverse people, have been lost to COVID-19. And is it based on race? I think yes. Is it always based on race? I don't think all the time, but I do think most of the time. And so what we really need to do in our country is to make sure that everyone has an equal chance. And I know we've been saying that forever now, but 
it's the least we could do, you know? We preach about every man being equal and having equal opportunities from the time they are born to the time that they die. And for some, that is super easy. For others, it's a climb. And others after that, they don't believe in themselves enough to do it based on where they grew up, how they grew up. Man, it's just... It's fucked. It really is. Um, honestly, that's all I have to give you. Uh, thank you for listening to this podcast. If you hated it, I'm sorry. If you kind of thought, cool, like she's talking. <laughs> thank you. Um, have a lovely COVID, everyone. Uh, stay safe. If you want to stay at home, stay at home. If you want to go out and about in a healthy fashion, I support that. Thank you for listening.